0: This morning's scripture reading is from John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn there? If you don't have a Bible, then you can find it on the rack in front of you, page 1060. That's 1060. What we're doing this morning is going to finish a, a short series that we've been looking at over the last six weeks, including today, in John chapters 7 and 8. And primarily focusing on Jesus' teaching about who he is, about his identity. There's been a number of conversations through these chapters, primarily with the, the Jewish leaders of the time. And they have been challenging his teaching, and he has been responding with his, with his truth. And so that's where we come in John chapter 8, chapter, uh, verse, verse 48. You'll, you'll notice as I start reading in a second that it, it will sort of seem as if we're jumping right into the middle of a conversation, and that's because we are. Jesus has been challenging the, uh, the assertion of the, the Jewish leaders, including some who claimed actually to believe in him. And he had just finished telling them that despite what he was saying and the clarity with which he was saying it, they weren't really getting it. <laughs> they weren't really understanding. And so that's, how, that's where the Jewish leaders respond. That's where we come in verse, verse 48. So this is God's word. Listen as I read it. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan? and demon-possessed. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death? And was glad "You're not yet 50 years old," the Jews said to him. "And you've seen Abraham? "I tell you the truth," Jesus answered. "Before Abraham was born, I am." At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So that's the text. Now, just to lay all my cards on the table right up front, what I'm going to do is try to move relatively quickly through an explanation of of this passage, and it is an important passage, but then concentrate on applying what Jesus has been claiming throughout these two chapters, John 7 and and 8. To state it more clearly, what I really want to do is reflect on the the, the following question. If Jesus is who he claims to be, then who am I? If Jesus claims... (laughs) <laughs> who he, who, if Jesus is who He claims to be, then who am I? If He is who He is, then then, then who am I and, and who am I by who am I what I mean is, is not just me, I mean all of us I mean me I mean you I mean Faith Presbyterian Church, I mean Calvary Presbyterian Church, all of us who are we that 's a pretty relevant question it 's perhaps the most perhaps the most common question of, of human existence it 's a question everyone asks, from the philosophers to the the average person in your office or your classroom or in the shopping mall. And it's a question that I think we ask probably even more during moments of, of transition, moments of, of great emotion, moments of, of joy, moments of, of, of sadness, because that's when we need to be reminded. It's when we're crying out even more for the answer to the question, who am I? So if you're outlining it then at two basic points, Jesus' identity and, and my identity. Jesus' claim and, 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 and who I am. Who he is and who am I. Now, first, who Jesus is. What's his claim? Now, if you've been here over the last six weeks, you probably have sensed a pattern. Not just in the text that we've read, but in the preaching itself. Because Jesus has essentially been making the same claim over and over again in, in, in different ways. He's claiming to be the Jewish Messiah. And even more than that, because there were many who un- misunderstood what that meant to be the Jewish Messiah. Even more than that, he is claiming to be the eternal God himself who comes as Messiah to rescue his children. And that's really, the, that's really the same point today. That's really the same claim he's making. He's claiming to be the eternal God of the universe who came as the promised Messiah to rescue his, his children. But even though it's essentially the same claim, we can't, just, we can't just brush over it because if we're going to talk about who we are, then we have to understand that in light of who Jesus is. It has to be based foundationally first on, on his identity. So, so very quickly then, let, let's, let's just review. Let's just run through this, this text and look at what we, we just read. Jesus had just made the assertion prior to verse 48 when we started reading that those who, who do not believe in him are not children of God. Instead, they are children of the devil. Because the devil, he says, is the father of lies. And he says, if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, that you do not believe that I am the Son of God, then you're believing a lie. That's what Jesus tells them. So they respond in verse 48 with a racial slur and calling him crazy. Right? You're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed. And then in, in verses 49 to 51, Jesus he denies the charge of, of being demon-possessed. He doesn't even give dignity to the charge of of being a Samaritan, and he tells them that everyone who believes in him, who trusts in him, will never die. And then the Jews, in, in verses 52 to 53, they bring Abraham back into the, into the argument. And you go, If you go back in the, the section just before this, you'll see that Abraham had already been a part of the, of the conversation. Now, Abraham, remember, was considered to be the patriarch of the Jewish people, right? God had come to Abraham thousands of years before and made a promise Made with him a a covenant, which is is essentially a covenant, essentially a promise of relationship and blessing that comes at a cost. That's what a covenant is. And and God had made this promise of relationship and blessing to Abraham thousands of years before. And from Abraham's descendants, through Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons, through them the nation of Israel was formed, the people of Israel. Of, of, of the Jewish people of, of, of God were formed. And so to be a child of Abraham, then, was a very big deal. And Jesus doesn't dispute that. He doesn't dispute that it's a very big deal to be a child of the promise that was made to, to Abraham. But he does clarify it. In fact, he says, if you don't recognize whose son I am, then you aren't really Abraham's son either. He calls them, he calls them illegitimate illegitimate sons. If you don't believe who he is, then you're not really a son of Abraham. You're an illegitimate son. That's what Kevin looked at last week. And the Jewish leaders, of course, they didn't like that. They're still holding on to the fact that they are Abraham's rightful children, the rightful heirs of God's promise of blessing and and relationship. And so they challenged Jesus, verse, verse 53, basically saying, how dare you? How dare you claim to be greater than Abraham? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, well, I'm glad you asked. Because you think you know Abraham, huh? And let me tell you something about Abraham. And he makes two astounding and bold claims about his relationship with with Abraham. about Jesus' relationship with Abraham, both of which are a claim by Jesus to be God himself. All right, first, look at what he says in verse 56. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the prophets always talked about a day. They talked about the day, the day of the Lord. It was the day when God would come and make everything right. It was, it was, it was often linked with, the, with the, the expectation of the Messiah's coming, right? the day of the Lord. It was the, the, the age of the Lord, the age of the Messiah, the age of God's arrival. And so Jesus is saying, at the very least, that Abraham was able to look forward, and he was able to, to look in anticipation to the fulfillment of that, of that promise for a Messiah. He looked forward, in a biblical sense, to the day. But that's not really the astonishing and, and bold part, right? because the, the Jewish leaders, they would have accepted that. I mean, he was Abraham. He was Abraham. And Father Abraham certainly could have, could have been given a very special view by God into the, into the future, to be able to... To see the Messiah and, and the age that was was to come. They would have conceded that probably. That wasn't astonishing and bold. The astonishing and bold part is that Jesus, Jesus claimed the day of the Lord for himself. You see what it says. Abraham saw my day, and he was glad. Now that's the first claim. Second claim, look at the second astonishing claim comes after the Jews respond by challenging Jesus and saying, How could you possibly know Abraham? He's been dead for thousands of years, and you're still a young man. And Jesus responds by saying, I tell you the truth. It's the second time he's used that phrase in just what we read. And whenever Jesus starts something by saying, I tell you the truth, some translations say, truly, truly. And the old King James, verily, verily, I say unto thee. Whenever Jesus starts something like that, you should listen. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am which is a very confusing statement because any middle school language arts student can look at a statement like that and say, I don't think he said that correctly. Right? Before Abraham was, I am. Right, The tenses don't match. Right? Was is past tense. Am is present tense. He should have said, before Abraham was, I was. Which would have still been a bold enough claim because it would have been a claim that he was either very, very old or that, that there was something significant about, about him, but that's not what he says. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Which might sound kind of funny to us, but it wasn't funny to the Jewish leaders. They, it was infuriating to them. They picked up stones to, to stone him. Because what Jesus was doing when he says, I am, is he's going back to the burning bush. Right? When, Jesus was, when, when God was talking to Moses, way back when the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, and God comes to Moses, who had escaped from Egypt, and was was living in the desert, God comes to him and and speaks to him through a bush that was burning but not consumed. And he tells Moses, I'm going to send you back to the Israelites to bring them out of Egypt. And Moses says, how are they going to believe me? Who who am I going to tell the the Israelites sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. It's Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. Tell the Israelites I am sent you. That was his name which I know sounds kind of like a weird name for, for, for someone, particularly for God, but not, not if you think about it just a little bit, because, because it is actually one of the very simplest and most profound ways to characterize who God is. He is who he is. That's all there is to say. He's self-existent. He's self-sustaining. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. God just simply is. I am who I am. And this name that, that we sometimes pronounce in Hebrew as Yahweh was so revered by the Jewish people that they wouldn't even say it. They wouldn't even let it cross their lips because they were so afraid of using it improperly, of blaspheming, of, of, of breaking the, the commandment to, to not take the Lord's name in vain. And so you see the significance. Jesus comes and he says, that's me. <laughs> I'm Yahweh. So that's Jesus' claim. I'm the day you've been waiting for, he says. I'm the Messiah. And I'm the eternal, self-existing Lord of all things. I am the I am. Now, if that's Jesus' claim, then what's my identity? If that's who Jesus is, then who am I? Well, very simply, what it means, at the very least, is that a follower of Jesus if I am a follower of Jesus, if I am a believer in his message, if I am one who keeps his word, as he says, and not in the sense of perfect obedience, but one who takes that claim and believes it, trusts it, relies upon it, if I keep his word, then it means, Jesus says here, I'll never see death. I'll have eternal life. Now, unless Jesus returns in the meantime, I will likely physically die, but I have a soul. Who am I? I am an eternal soul who will live forever in the presence of God, with the promise that one day I will have a resurrected body when Jesus returns. That's what it means. It also means that I'm a child of Abraham. If I believe in Jesus's identity, it means I'm a child of Abraham. I'm an heir to the the promise. I'm included in the genealogy of that that promise. Just just a few minutes ago, right, we, we baptized Gabriel, talked about the connection of Abraham and circumcision to the promise of God and and, and, and to our children. Do you know how special that was, doing that for me personally? I almost felt selfish doing it. Seriously, I, I first got to know Kendra when she reached out through our website wanting to find out more information about the church and how she could answer some of the questions that she was asking about God and, uh, and about life. And, and I first got to know John when we would periodically have lunch when he was home from break and from school at, at JMU. I stood up here with them in 2014 when they were... When they were married. John's parents, as you hear, heard Kevin say, John's parents are members here. Dr. Jardiner is our traditional music director. John's grandfather was a pastor here. Do you see how it works? Do you see the beauty of, of, of baptism? It is the promise of God through generations. All five of my children were baptized here. Two of them I had the privilege of baptizing myself. This is the promise of God on display. This is the promise of God from generation to generation. Who am I? I am included in the promise. I am not an illegitimate son. I am brought into the family of God. It is who I am. And so, if I have eternal life... And if I'm a child of God and an heir to the promise of Abraham, then it means, if that's true, then further, even more than that, what it means is, it means I'm not crazy. The the way they thought Jesus was crazy. They thought he was demon-possessed. They thought he was nuts. Jesus was the most sane person who ever lived. That's not what they thought. Jesus didn't care, though. He knew who he was. Think about that. When you make decisions about how to spend your time, how uh, to spend your money, teach your children, about the people you love, the people you spend time with, the things that you do, Are, would people ever be tempted to think that you're just a little bit off? It's an interesting test, isn't it? Right? Would everyone ever ever be tempted to think about you, that what you believe, that what you do, the, the, how you spend your time, that hey, it's just not quite all there. Now, I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm talking about having people look at you and say, I just can't quite figure them out. Earlier this week, I was up in Brick, New Jersey, which is near where, we're, where we will be, be living, and I was talking to a clerk at Costco. I was opening up a, a membership at, at Costco, and he asked for my address. And I said, well, that's kind of funny, actually. I'm not quite sure at this particular moment what my address is going to be. And he said, well, he, he said, well, wh- where are you living now? And I said, Delaware. And he said, Delaware? He said, and you're moving from Delaware to New Jersey? Have you heard about the taxes here? I mean, it was as if verse 52, he says, now I know you're demon-possessed, right? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to be pastoring this great church up the road in Wall Township, and so I guess you could say that it, it was God's decision that's bringing us here. And honestly, where we're moving is, I mean, it's a, it's a great area. It's a great place for a family. It's a great place for a gospel ministry. But, but like I've said to you many times, many of you, There is nothing here at Faith, nothing in North Wilmington, nothing in Delaware that's causing us to leave. Now, we have every confidence to believe that that we will love our new home, love our new church, love our new community, but we love it here. We love you. But that begs the question, right? If you love where you are, if you're comfortable with where you are, why, why would you possibly do anything different? And the answer is in who we are. Because ultimately, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the Messiah, if he is the eternal I am, then we do not belong to ourselves. And no matter how big, or in our case, how relatively small the cost, whatever decision that you would make, you are never crazy to follow the lead of the Lord who is the eternal I am. In fact, when you do that, you are, objectively speaking, the most sane. Now, that's what it means. It also means, if Jesus is who he says he is, and I have eternal life and the promise of of Abraham, it also means that I am not alone. Often over the years, when I've introduced the the offering here at Faith, I've asked folks, like I did this morning, to take the the pads that are in the center of each aisle and pass them down the row, And and the staff uses it to gather contact information for those who choose to leave it and to collect prayer requests from those who, who choose to share them. But one of the things that I've, I've asked people to do as they, as they pass it along often is to remind, use it as a reminder as you pass it to someone else, as you look around you, that you didn't come to worship alone. Right? We live in a world where you can get high quality music and you can get significantly better preaching than mine at the touch of a finger, in the comfort of your own home. But God commands us to gather together in person. Because when we sing together, pray together, learn together, celebrate the sacraments together, it is a reminder that in this life if we belong to Jesus, we are not alone. And I can honestly say that in the more than 10 years our family has been at this church and the more than 8 years that I've been on staff, I have never felt as if my family and I were alone. We have cried with you at funerals. We have rejoiced with you at weddings. We have been welcomed into your homes. You have served us with with meals. You've served us with prayer. You have served us with respect and with generosity. You have loved and you have taught our children. They were never pastor's kids. They were covenant kids. You've taught them the gospel. You kept your end of the vow you made to Gabriel this morning. I'm not alone. But it's not just for individuals, that promise of not being alone. And one of the things that has been such an encouragement for me in the last four to five months is to see how the same thing is true, not just of individuals, but for churches. Jesus, the eternal I am in other places, speaks of himself as the bridegroom to his people. Apostle Paul says that the, the, the husbands are to love their wives in the same way that Jesus loves the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And so what that means is that all churches who follow that Savior, who identify with Him, are in fact connected to each other. Faith, Faith Presbyterian Church, you're not alone. This morning in the second service, Scott and Ann McLean are going to be joining us. They're members of Calvary Presbyterian Church in in Allenwood, where I'm going to be pastoring next week. Scott was on the search committee there, and Scott grew up here at Faith. His father was an elder here for 40 years. His mother and his grandparents were here when the church was formed in 1936. Scott and Ann met when Ann moved to the Wilmington area and was attending the young adult group here. They were married in this sanctuary. Now, they didn't seek out the connection between our churches. They had no idea that I was here. I had no idea who they were when I first started talking to Calvary. But see, here's the thing, God did, right? And they are, they're gonna be here as a visible reminder that God is giving to us. He's saying, church, you are a part of something so much bigger, you are not alone. Now, finally, if Jesus's identity is true, If he's my Savior who gives me eternal life and the great I am who rules over everything, then finally it means that I am not a pastor. Now, what does that mean? Of course, you're a pastor. What are you doing up there? This is what I mean. In 2013, the Houston Astros baseball team, I had to work baseball in somewhere. (laughs) The Houston Astros baseball team, at the beginning of what has proven to be a fairly successful rebuilding effort, But at the very beginning of it, in 2013, they selected Mark Appel as the number one draft pick in all of baseball. Number one. Destined for greatness. Predicted to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. That was 2013. Now, last year, 2017, he retired from professional baseball at the age of 26. He never made it to the big leagues. Collapsed. Flopped. Right? He was released by the Astros. Philly gave him a try. It didn't work out. Right? It, it, many refer to him as the, bu- the biggest draft bust in Major League Baseball history. And he doesn't disagree. He actually says, ah, I probably am. <laughs> but what's very odd about, about listening to him that's always struck me as strange is that the whole thing, he doesn't seem to be crushed by it. Disappointed, yes, but not crushed. And it's perplexing to an outsider how that could be. I listened to an interview with him, though last month, and I heard him say why, and then it made sense. He said it's his identity in Jesus Christ. He said that God has taught him through all of this that Jesus is enough. Christ, he said, is all I need. Now, can you say that? Can you say that in your, in your calling, whatever it is, that the same thing is true? Whatever, whatever you consider your full-time calling to, to be right now, maybe it's a parent, just as a parent, or maybe it is a, a professional, an engineer, a, an accountant, a a student, whatever it is, no matter how you perform, are you able to say that Christ is enough? Or does that role, that job, or even something bad, that addiction, that, that, that victimhood that is, that is, that is yours, do those things define you? Is Christ enough? Can I say that as a pastor? Wow, I don't know. I mean, I know my insecurities. <laughs> And I know the 2 a.m. moments over the last couple of months of, of anxiety when I worry that I could be moving my family to New Jersey to be the lead pastor of a church, only to discover that I'm not very good at it. I don't want that. I feel like I'm, I'm well-equipped. I know that I'm well-supported. But if I don't perform, does that define me? Am I first and foremost a pastor? No. Not if what Jesus says is true. No, I'm not, but I regularly will need to be reminded of that. I will tell you, I have probably the best role models I can imagine for that reminder here at Faith. When I first came on staff, Pastor Brown was still the senior pastor. I sat under his regular preaching for about four years, learned a ton from him about ministry, benefited an amazing amount from his practical wisdom, but I hope it doesn't sound insulting to say that that I've probably learned the most about Jesus, probably will take away the most about Jesus from watching the way he retired. This is what I mean. Think about this. To be the senior pastor of a church for decades, to be involved in every major decision, to be the one everyone comes to, to know everyone in the church, and then transition to a role where that is no longer your job, forces you to, forces that question, right? Who am I after all? And I will tell you, so far as I could ever see, from behind the scenes as well as in front, that what you see in Jim Brown was someone who was able to step back from leadership and into a supportive role where most of the time people don't even know he's here. And I ask myself, how is that possible? And the only way that I think that's possible is that, is that if all along his primary identity was not the Reverend James O. Brown, Jr., Senior Pastor of Faith Presbyterian Church, but his primary identity is Jim Brown, son of God and child of the promised Abraham. Same thing is true for Kevin. When he became senior pastor here at Faith in 2012, he had every right to almost exclusive occupy, uh, exclusively occupy this pulpit, to be the outward face of the, of the church in every respect, but instead he shared it. He's given me one Sunday in every four weeks to, to preach He's allowed me a seat at the table into every major decision that's been, been made in the church. Now, there's, ever, there's never been any question about who the senior pastor is here. Now, there's nothing in terms of vision or strategic emphasis at faith that will leave with, with me. There isn't anything that he hasn't owned that he has not driven. I've been the associate pastor here, and that, that line of authority has been clear. But here's the point. I've been the associate pastor, but he has never, ever made me feel like a subordinate. He gives credit for success and accepts responsibility for failure better than anyone I've ever seen. How is that possible? It is only possible because at the core, at the foundation, he's not senior pastor and Ph.D. candidate Kevin D. Kozlowski. He's Kevin, son of God and child of the promise made to Abraham. I have been honored to have been a servant in a church like Faith, with a rich history of gospel faithfulness, with a beautiful building, with generous people, with great programs and an an amazing ministry. But church, that is not who you are. Some churches don't have honorable histories. Buildings can be blown apart by hurricanes in an instant. Finances can dry up. Programs can fail. But that is not what the church is. Church, you are the heir of the promise made to Abraham. And you are the bride of the great I am. And may God continue to bless us as we serve him together. Will you pray with me? Father God, may our hearts be struck this morning by the realization that the identity of Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God and the Savior of sinners, that that identity is the only unshakable basis for who we are. Lord, keep us from the idolatry of worshiping anything besides you, from making anything but you the source of our identity, from letting anything but Jesus define us. Father God, I love these people. I love this church. And I have felt their love for me. And I'm grateful that we get to serve together in the greatest undertaking the world has ever known, the task of proclaiming the uncontested lordship and the gracious salvation of Jesus Christ. And in the years to come, Lord, may our resolve only increase to share that good news about the identity and the work of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.